everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We have got a jam-packed show. I'm going to get right into the list of guests. Uh, Of course, we've got Mitch Berliner with us from Central Farm Market. He's going to tell us what's going on there, and there's some special stuff happening. On the drinks segment, Bob Wiley is co-owner of Deviation Distilling. He's in from Colorado. He's in from Colorado. I know. He's slumming today. (laughs) He said, well, I'm here anyways. He's like, I'm sweating. But their claim to fame is they use a lot of uh, really unique global spices and other ingredients in their, their, um, uh, you know, distilling process. And they've got some amazing packaging that I'm looking at. So you'll Mm -hmm. be able to see that online. Um, we're going to hear from him. Chef Danny Chavez is the executive chef at Art and Soul in Yotel here in Washington. He just got an amazing review from Tom Sietzema, so that's that ain't bad, is it, Chef? Um, they've got a scratch kitchen, which means you you put everything together uh, in-house from scratch. We're going to hear all about that. Sounds like a lot of work. Um, there is only a handful of cocktail books out there that's really work to tell the cultural and historical stories of black and brown mixologists, but there is now a new book. Called the Cocktail Kings. It's written. The co-author is uh, Colin Asare Apia, who uh, was also the cocktail expert and star of Discovery Channel's The Cocktail Kings, and he's a cool guy. I just talked to him. We're going to be hearing from him. And if you want to make a difference in the world, but aren't sure how, you should stay tuned to hear the story of the bag lady, Lisa Foster. In 2005, she she wondered why there were so many plastic bags that weren't being, uh, excuse me, bags being uh, used at stores and not recycled. So she started the first-to-market reusable grocery bag company, and in four years was doing $8 million worth of business, and she really created a whole new She's amazing. niche. And she changed, Can't wait, Can't she, wait to she, talk she, to her. She changed the way we shop. Mm-hmm. And Chef David Rabin is a really interesting guy. I've been talking to him. Uh, he's with Caboose Tavern in Vienna and Caboose Commons in Mosaic. Um, uh, and he's, locally, already, he's already poured us beer. Yeah, it's a locally-owned <laughs> microbrewery, but he's also uh, he's got a chef-driven menu that really relies on uh, – he spent a lot of time in Appalachia, Appalachia, and um, he, you know, he learned how to live off the land. And he made some wild boar here for us. It's delicious. So okay. We're going to do Can all we get that. It started with the Mitchell, Central Farm Markets, yes, baby. Sir. Hey, Mitch, is it still National Farmers Week? Is that still happening? It certainly, it certainly is. And uh, with all that fantastic booze, and of course, we have um, people at the Central Farm Market. I understand they have a two-for-one at the Betty Ford Clinic, so I thought I'd get that <laughs> Thank on. you. Great. <laughs> okay. So, so how we are we celebrating are our farmers? Tell us. At, at Hip Street Central Farm Market, we are giving away insulated bags and gift certificates. Mm. We are next week have beautiful cookbooks from our market chef, Jonathan Barsic, and all the proceeds. It's a voluntary contribution for the free cookbooks. We'll go to D.C. Central Kitchen. We always like to hook up with Mana, D.C. Central Kitchen, and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I will leave you with this. Tell me. This is Appendanza. Mm-hmm. Appendanza. Our markets, all markets, are full of beautiful berries, tree fruit, peaches, melons, prepared foods. We have live music, baked goods, meats, poultry, fish, greens galore, organic produce. If there's ever a time, boys and girls, to get out to the local farm market, 
Visit us at centralfarmmarkets.com. Find out our four fabulous locations and come out and say hi to me and the wonderful farmers. And thank you for your support. All thank right. you. Thanks, Thanks for me. your support, Mitch. All we'll right. see you at the market. Bob O'Wiley, step up to the mic. Hello there. Hi. So as I mentioned earlier, Bob is co-owner of Deviation Distilling out of Col- where in Colorado? Uh, we're actually right in Denver, Colorado. We have a, a our distillery is just south of Denver, but um, we have a really nice tasting room at the Dairy Block, right right next to Coors Field okay. in downtown Denver. So Not tell bad. us why you got into distilling. You know, I had that question asked to me last week when I was doing a cocktail class down at the Tasting Lounge, mm-hmm. and I actually, when I don't have a whole lot of time, I usually say that it was a midlife crisis. Okay. But I was actually corrected by one of my guests and said, it sounds like a midlife solution, not mm. a crisis. Ooh, so I kinda, I like I'm going to steal that a little bit. Okay. Um, but really, we wanted to bring the culinary aspect to to distilling, um, which is why I brought the three gins um, today. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually have the three gins um, in the D.C. market, Maryland, mm-hmm. D.C., Delaware, all over here. Um, so I really want to share a little bit what, about what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, my head distiller is a chef by trade. Mm-hmm. He's also a childhood friend. So that's kind of how we got started. We we met up. Um, I used to work in the corporate environment for almost 20 years, and he was in the in the uh, food business for quite some time. And we decided, hey, let's let's go ahead and try this out. Let's let's make some but whiskey what, and gin. What were you not seeing in the gins on the market that? You were like, this is what's missing. Because let's be honest, like there, in the there last, there are a lot of gins. There, well, but not just gins. There's a lot of distilling going on in the last 20 years. The entire uh, distilling world has changed drastically, and oh, especially sure. in the United States. I mean, we can going international would be a whole other story. But what's happening here is insane. So, what was it that you weren't seeing that you were like, I really want to see some of this? Well, actually, we started out in 2016 um, as a whiskey distillery. Oh, okay. And when we when we created our business plan and we started doing all of our distilling, we actually laid down a bunch of whiskey for about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really our passion. And about a year later, I went to um, our head distiller and I said, hey, you know what? We need to put our brand out there. We need to right, put, whiskey put something takes, out there. Whiskey, whiskey needs to take some time. time. We're going on five, five plus yeah, years what, right now. What got you into the so, kind of the spicy side of things. The so for the gin, um, I actually like vodka. Mm-hmm. And oh my God. And I went to everybody else is like, what? I know. <laughs> I well I I didn't I like, know anything anything else like besides chicken. vodka. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I went to our head distiller and I said, hey, you know what? We, let's do a vodka. And he's like, well, no. And I said, well why not? And he's like, well think about it this way. If I if I as a chef make you dinner and I use all these fresh ingredients and I, I take all my time and cook and, and make this beautiful dinner for you and I serve it to you and it tastes like nothing and it smells like nothing. He's like, that's essentially what vodka is mm-hmm. in the distilling world. Uh, so let's do gin. He suggested let's do gin. I'm like, okay, I don't on that know. note, I'm gonna have you tell us what gin sure. you're pouring first. So right now I'm going to pour Citrus Rose. <laughs> um, it is our pink gin. Mm. All of our gins, the three that I brought today, start out as a whiskey recipe. Okay. So we have that whiskey um, link. Um, if you will, as far as our base goes. Citrus mm-hmm. Rosé is a pink gin. Um, it is 100% malted barley to start. Mm-hmm. But then we add um, tarragon. We add grapefruit, lemon, All right, tangerine. bring it on. Let so, us taste it. Perfect. And then we'll come back to you in a little Sounds bit. Sounds great. Okay. All right. Now that Boy, David has eaten what? everything no, no, I've that the chef has everything. put out, All right. nobody else All right. can have any of it. No, that's not true. I that's don't what's happening in studio right now. or anything, for God's sake. Thank so, you. Let's say it again. Chef Danny Chavez is the executive chef at Art and Soul in Yotel here in D.C. Um, and the the kind of the, the 
one of the great differentiators is that it's a scratch kitchen. Everything is made from scratch. Meanwhile, he's been plying yeah. oh me with, what are the cinnamon buns? Is that what we call yeah. that thing? And cinnamon French, rolls and French, uh, PB&J French toast. God <laughs> bless. Okay, well. I almost said damn. I mean, it's good. It's okay, really good. Okay, so Chef, tell us a little bit about you, how you wound up in the kitchen, and um, how you wound up here in D.C. at Art and Soul. And why you push sugar. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so I grew up in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad is an uh, executive chef at one of the restaurants in, in Connecticut. Okay. Um, Start up as a dishwasher, um, sure, like everybody. You worked your else. way up. Yeah. And um, at one point I was like, Dad, you know, this is not for me. I want to keep doing this. Um, I need to try some different stations. So went from Garmager to learning all the, like, hotline to become, like, his sous chef at one point. Mm-hmm. Then moved to D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom was going through a rough time, so moved to D.C. Uh, I was actually going to go to the CIA. Okay. And then I just had to drop A as she needed more help. Uh-huh. Um, ended up at Orange Soul as a banquet cook mm-hmm. um, for like three months. Um, was it before it changed over hotel ownership or is this more new? Uh, before, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, Orange Soul has been here for a very long time. Exactly, yeah. So was it really exciting for you to get in there and become the executive chef? It, it did, yeah, because I was like, you know, I can go in there, put my own twist on my own food. And, and what was it that you were, what was, like, since there was a menu in place, right? And it's evolved over time. There's been other chefs there. What was it that you wanted to bring to the menu? Um, because it's an amazing location. You're right, right. by Capitol Hill. So right. tourist galore, right? But also locals yeah. go to that restaurant. I mean, it's definitely considered a restaurant that locals go to. So what was it that you wanted to add to your menu? I I think I wanted to add a little bit of more of the what the name is about, right? Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to bring like a little bit of more of the soul, but like probably team. like during during lunch and brunch, that's when we showcase more more of uh, our soul of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. But for dinner, I showcase more of the art. But, okay. But it, in a scratch kitchen, I mean, you have to do so much forward planning. Yeah. Because it ain't just about today or tomorrow. It's exactly. about next week and you know the end of the month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So actually, our you know we make our own bacon. Mm-hmm. It's a it's an eight days process, from it comes into the door and what do you get to the half a hog comes in and you. We actually bring like about six hundred pounds of pork bellies. We mm-hmm. cure them um, every day. We need to flip them so they cure evenly, and on the eighth day we wash them let them dry overnight, and then we smoke them for 12 hours. That's amazing. It's amazing you have the space for it. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, we actually have a, 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 a really big-sized kitchen, so that works for us. That yeah. is amazing. So you said at dinner you put art on the plate. Yeah. So what does that look like? Uh, I, li- I would like to think it's like art in a canvas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you guys wrote, uh, read the review from Tom Sisma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he actually described one of the ditches to be like a canvas. Right. Um, so that's to me, that's like art. On a that was a very subtle way of mentioning right. Tom, Tom Titsuma <laughs> at the Washington Post, P-O-S-T, right. in case you... Yeah. Uh, like the cinnamon rolls, we make those in-house, too, for mm-hmm. just on the Those weekend. are crazy, man. Those they are, look good. They yeah. are good. Yeah. We yeah. make about 250, and around like 12 o'clock, we're like all out. Well, D.C. is a brunch town, man. Right. I mean, people like to go out for brunch. And are people finding you for brunch? Or people, has the yeah. message gone out that you guys are big on brunch? Yeah. We do about 350 on Saturday for brunch and like mm-hmm. around 450 for Sunday. Now, you also brought in a cocktail. 
We did. Uh, this is a cocktail made by our one of, I would say, the best mixologists in D.C. Her name okay, is Linda. Okay, that's a gauntlet thrown, <laughs> but go ahead. There's lots of great uh, mixologists. A, we love all of you. Yes. Uh, is a uh, mezcal uh, cocktail. Uh-huh. It's uh, infused with orange and rosemary, aperol, and a little bit of blue orange syrup. Do you have hospital beds there as well for the people who, between the sugar and the alcohol, can't? I mean, oh we God. do have room, so. This PB&J <laughs> French toast Yeah, so let's talk nuts. about the French toast. Although, wait, can we mix the mezcal with the gin? Sure. Are we going to be in trouble later? Sure. What's happening? Um, wait, we were young once. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Or I was. Okay, so yeah, let's talk about your French toast because so, I love the idea of it. Yeah, so French toast, uh, we soak them overnight on creme and glaze. Um, then goes in the flat top, get it nice and sear. Um, pick up, we do peanut butter. We make our own blueberry jam. Caramel sauce and a little mm-hmm. bit of banana with <laughs> cream on top. I, I don't eat this early in the day, so I, I will be normally. eating that later, but I will not be eating it now. But it looks gorgeous. Yeah. Actually, one of my favorite things on brunch, um, I grew up eating a lot of peanut butter and jelly with grandma. So mm-hmm. this is basically like, thanks, grandma. You know, I love that. Yeah. That is so great. All right. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll just get the 411 and where we can find you and how people can get in on this delicious brunch. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. It is yummy in studio. We'll be back in just a sec. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Uh, it's boozy in studio. It's boozy and sugary. <laughs> Chef Danny Chavez, uh, who's the executive chef at Art and Soul up on Capitol Hill at the Yotel, is, um, I mean, First of all, you brought most of the kitchen in here. Is there mm. any food left at the hotel? So, Chef, let's talk about you. So you guys are doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or just brunch, lunch, and dinner? Uh, we are doing uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Wow. Are you responsible for the in-room service and all of that, too? And catering? Out of the kitchen? Or is that something else? Uh, we, we actually don't do room service. Um you're like, come on down. Yeah, Get out of your room. Yeah, right. Exactly, yeah. We want people to come down to the restaurant. That saves you. That's a good one. Yeah. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, yeah. and brunch. Right. Saturday and Sunday brunch? Yes. Excellent. Okay. Tell everybody, please, where they can find you online and on Instagram. Yes. Uh, find us at uh, our location is at 415 Years in Avenue, um, mm-hmm. right by Capitol Hill. Um, our Instagram is Arn Soul. Um, my personal Instagram is uh, at the Shives. Okay. Um, but yeah. Excellent. Well, All right, and and yeah. uh, Tom Seatsma does not lie. This is good stuff. Well, Tom Seatsma got in some trouble this week, but so he does create some problems, but not when it came to his review of Art and Soul. Obviously, yeah. thank you, Chef. Thanks thank for you. coming thank in today. Thank All right, we're going back to some more gin. Bob Wiley, Deviation Distillers. So um, this is yummy. Well, tell us you. about the cocktail quickly. So the cocktail, I I really poured. A little taste of the Citrus Rosé gin as it is right out of the bottle. And I really wanted to show um, how it actually tastes in a cocktail. So this is our version of a Paloma with mm-hmm. the Citrus Rosé gin. So. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's right. really refreshing. It's really Can we talk it's kind about of your... Oh, scary. It's a little scary. Because it, <laughs> it's like delicious. Thank you. I <laughs> You're appreciate welcome. that. You want to talk about the I've packaging? Three, the packaging is crazy. How do they beautiful. do that inside the bottle? Well, we actually um, have a, a uh, label on the back that is dual-sided. Ah. Um, my wife is the one that actually designed the labels I'm and too the bottle. I'm stupid to think that you could <laughs> so do that. She, uh, she came up with it. I'm only in marketing and packaging. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything because I was like, that's a dumb question. But okay. Um, <laughs> but there are no dumb questions, obviously. That's what she said when I said, will you marry me? Uh-huh. <laughs> that's right. a dumb question. And then she said, of course I will. But okay. <laughs> anyway, so all right. So uh, the packaging's beautiful. Well, thank you. Okay, so what are you pouring for us next? Right now is Mountain Herb. It's our second gin. It's it's um, more like a gin drinker's gin. So it, people do describe it as piney, but we actually know that it, it's really made up of spruce tips, 
rosemary, and sage, some mm. lemon to help balance that out. It's our four-grain bourbon as far as a base, but the spruce tips give it that that piney, what you'd expect a gin to taste like instead mm. of the juniper um, being very heavy. Excellent. Can't wait to taste it. Absolutely. All right. All right. So we're now- gonna, Now, we're not going to have more booze, but we're going to talk gonna booze. We're going to keep talking. Yes. So cocktail expert and star of Discovery Channel's The Cocktail Kings mm-hmm. is none other than Colin Asariapia, who's also the co-author of a really fascinating new book. Yeah. Called Black Mixolence, a comprehensive guide. And it really takes a look at the impact of black and brown mixologists on the cocktail industry throughout history. And it introduces readers to a lot of modern mixologists who are black and brown who are really changing the face of the cocktail world today. Colin, are you there? Yeah, he is. I am here. Oh my God, listen to that. You sound like the guy that. Um, uh, we have the meat. Look what you're missing. <laughs> Look what you're missing. I know. I know. Listen, I just spent a week in New Orleans at Tales of the Cocktail. Oh, you were at Tales. And yeah, I'm still recovering. I right. have no doubt. Colin, is that a fake accent? Are you really no. from like Brooklyn or someplace <laughs> like that? <laughs> I, I sometimes tell people that I was born in Brooklyn and I moved to London when I was little. So, <laughs> so I but love, no, I I love the way you say little. Li- I love it. So, so where talk- are you from originally? Let's get a little 411 on you real quick. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I was born I was born in Ghana, moved mm-hmm. to London when I was a kid, and of course I uh, spent all my time um, working and crafting um, amazing cocktails. And at the time, there was a real movement for fresh ingredients and premium um, ingredients in the cocktail industry, mm-hmm. and we really did lead the charge. There was myself, people like Douglas Ankara, um, Dimitri Lazinska, who's my co um, uh, my co uh, host on the Cocktail Kings, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, we all set up a company called The Lab, which really changed and shaped uh, the way that people drank cocktails in the UK. There was a cocktail that is actually one of the biggest um, selling cocktails in the world. It's called a Porn Star Martini, mm-hmm. created by Douglas Ankara, God bless his soul. Right. He's no longer with us, but it's a cocktail that's definitely a legacy uh, cocktail. It was made with vodka, vodka, uh, vanilla sugar, passion I mean, you, fruit. Did you just hear me disparage? Of I did disparage vodka, but I didn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> no, she meant it. She's just being nice. If it wasn't for vodka, we wouldn't have the modern mixology. I there you of go. Course. No, I know. It takes on flavors. So I know that's why you guys love it. jump to the book. <laughs> Um, um, well, wait, yes. before you jump to the book, let's start with Cocktail Kings, because okay. that's what brought us to the book, right? Like, it was yeah, a progression. Exactly. So the let's... Cocktail Kings was the first 30-minute um, show mm-hmm. dedicated specifically to cocktails. We traveled around the U.S. and the rest of the world for the Discovery Travel and Living Journal, mm-hmm. and it was myself and my co-host, and we went head-to-head to find out who could make a cocktail that best represents that city. Mm-hmm. For example... We came to New York, and in New York, we saw um, New York from a different uh, perspective. We have three hosts who showed us the city from different uh, perspectives. I hate heights. They made me try and do a trapeze. Obviously, I wasn't going to do it. I got to the top, climbed back down. And I almost passed out. Yeah, we're brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're brothers from a different mother. From different mothers. Well, I don't know no what way. that has to do with a cocktail, yeah, no but way. go ahead. <laughs> and then we made, and then we made cocktails that best represented that city. So as you know, mm-hmm. the city's known as the Big Apple at the time. Vodka was king, and so because the Cosmo was that cocktail that brought mm-hmm. theater back into bars uh, because mm-hmm. Delta Groff spritzed that orange spritz on the cocktail. It was bright. It was colorful. Mm-hmm. It was. Evolved. So I used orchard fruits because 
New York being known as the Big Apple. I use orchard fruits, vodka, and a few herbs and spices just for the, a nod to the Dutch trade that happened in sure. uh, New York. So that was my cocktail. So we went head to head and I think I won that series, but it was a fun show and hopefully we'll be bringing it back soon. Oh, well, wouldn't that be great? We're sure you won that series. Yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't have mentioned it. Right. So, <laughs> the, the the book, Black Mixolence. Um, yeah, so somewhere this... along the line, you said there's a whole there's, there's a, a whole slew of people not getting their props for their contributions to this world. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just in New Orleans, as I said. Right. Tells, tells with a cocktail. And it's interesting. We did a seminar, 20 Years of Tales. Mm-hmm. And you know, the modern uh, cocktail era... Um, we would say started in the early 2000s or the late 90s to now. Mm-hmm. And it's been interesting how the growth of black mixologists has come to the forefront again. And seeing so many being celebrated at Tales of the Cocktail, like people like Tiffany Barrier, sure. um, uh, Shannon Mustafa, um, Ian Burrell. Well, and if I can add in too. Davis, who works in your market. Can I also add in women? Yeah. I mean, there's been... Yeah. For so long, it was a white male dominated field, or at least those were the ones getting, you know, those were the ones that were getting the most promotion. But now you're seeing, you know, people of color, you're seeing women, you're seeing people from, you know, everywhere who are really also now getting their due because of their creativity and their um, professionalism and what they bring to the So I got a question because a lot of that, I think Nikki's right. I think those folks were always there. You just, they were invisible. And the, mm-hmm. But how did you do your research? Because yeah. there's How'd probably not a lot of hard, you know, kind of stuff to to, to read and yeah, look at. Well, the, the thing is, as as I mentioned um, at the beginning of the book in Black Mixolence, if you mm-hmm. don't write your history, other people write it for you, or mm-hmm. they don't. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the problems was that as a person of color, uh, prior to the emancipation of slavery, if you could read or write, you could be killed. It was a death sentence. Right. So a lot of the history was oratory. And that's why, for example, um, nobody knew about Uncle Nearest for the longest time until recently, when Fawn Weaver actually came out with one of the best-selling whiskeys of all time, mm. Uncle Nearest, and discovered that the distiller was an African-American slave who taught Jack Daniels or Jasper Daniels how to distill. Wow. And he gave um, Jack Daniels as well this maple um, filtration uh, system that he had learned from his ancestors in West Africa. And who made all the money, Jack Daniels. Mm -hmm. Basically. But now uh, there's some kind of reparation whereby, obviously, um, uh, Uncle Nearest's family are benefiting from the launch and um, and the, uh, the new creation of Uncle Nearest uh, whiskey, which is uh, great uh, because it's about time, right? Right. That's a, yeah. an amazing story. You must have been really fascinated by some of the stories you dug up, right? Was there oh, things yeah. that you saw that you were like, oh, I had no idea and I can't wait to share this? Yeah. One, um, the person that did a lot more of the research, mm-hmm. um, the me, I did a lot more of the mixology was Tamika Hall. But obviously, mm. I did a lot of research before um, being involved in a book. In 2012, I threw a uh, party to celebrate Tom Bullock, who was the first African-American to write a cocktail book. And he wrote his cocktail book in 1917. Mm. What happened in 1917? We had Prohibition. So what happened to the book? It disappeared. disappeared. But, exactly. But the book is a really 
great bookend to the last golden age of uh, cocktails because it started with the ideal bar to, um, with the bartender's manual mm-hmm. um, with Professor Jerry Thomas in the uh, what, 1862, and then it finished in 1917. And then we obviously went into, we had prohibition, when it went into the world wars, everything went into, forget, um, what do you call it? Uh, Mixology. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. It was all frozen. Right. Premium ingredients. Everything went in the cans. Sure. So it went from the 50s and 60s with everything coming out of cans and very poorly distilled uh, spirits. Mm. And it hasn't really been, it's only been over the last, I'll say, 25 years that we're seeing that resurgence again of interest in making things as they should be. Well, I mean, we're, we're seeing that in studio today with, you know, deviation. Yeah, we're the, stinko already. Yeah. No, but listen, <laughs> yes. it's an art. And I think it's really it important is. that those who helped create it, we learn yeah. it's history and we should uh, know it. Before we, yeah, go, we, should know. we, before go. we go, what we have a break. I want to mention that Colin, yeah. do I have this right? Uh, the, the silver line in the Dabney here in D.C., uh, one yep. at Tales of the Cocktail won the best hotel bar in the country. Not the Dabney. Yes, they did. Not the Dabney. The Riggs. They did. I'm the sorry. Riggs. The yeah, Riggs. They did. It's one. It is definitely uh, one of the best bars um, in the country and in the world. No, it is and the best. You should, all be, <laughs> you should all be proud because DC is a bedrock of it is. Uh, cocktail. Talent. And our our son and Sam is a is a bartender there. But I want to make sure you're coming at the end of August, correct? I'm going to come in at the end of August. I'm okay. going to come and see Sam and the team. You better. I've got a training session lined up. So. All right. I'll it was, um, thank you for joining us today. You're a lively um, guy. We cannot wait to see thank what's you. next. Um, <laughs> tell everybody, yes. please, where they can find you on Instagram in or online. Oh, on Instagram, you'll find me at Cocktail Colin. And okay. also, Tamika is the lady blogger. You can also find us on the Black Mixellence page. Mm-hmm. And so please feel free, go ahead, buy your copy of Black Mixellence. You can get it on Amazon or any of those large um, bookstores. We keep running out. Excellent. And it's been number one um, on the cocktail um, list for the last two weeks. Cool. Long may it continue. Long may it continue. Thanks, Colin. Thanks yes. for joining right. us today. Take care. This is, so David, this is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie right. and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we're going to go mm-hmm. back over and talk to Bob Wiley, who is um, himself... Quite a mixologist. Yeah, so can we talk about this cucumber drink? Because is, again, well, it, all the drinks you're making are super refreshing. But it kind of tastes like a caipirinha. No. It yes, doesn't. it does. Not at all. Everybody's palate's different. No, I think that's, so. how, that's how I get out of that <laughs> yeah. situation. Good fun. Uh, I like but that. it but it is refreshing. And I did bring a cucumber basil smash. Mm. Um we, you did taste the mountain herb as it as it, it is by itself, but the the cucumber basil smash makes it really enjoyable, refreshing. Well, so can light. we talk about this for a second? So the the herbal one, I mean, I'm not one to drink any sort of liquor straight, but you could put this over ice. We it's, have a lot of people that do. It's yeah. really lovely. It's it's soft, and that's it's how soft, yeah. that's how I describe it. Um, not I'm, I wasn't a gin drinker when we started making it, but we really brought the juniper down and other flavors up and mm-hmm. the lemon helps balance it out so it is nice and soft yeah it's a it's a beautiful spirit I, I will tell you real quick that all three gins are 92 proof so they're a little higher in proof than your typical gin or okay. oh is that why, why i thought you were that? twins why <laughs> right? is that um it, it's just something that as a distiller we wanted you we wanted to make alcohol and we wanted to taste alcohol and then when you mix it it automatically dilutes so mm. we wanted to keep that alcohol strength a little bit higher um just to just to have a nice refreshing cocktail whenever it's mixed with juices and other other spirits well i i totally get that i mean when we talk about like mocktails and things of that nature 
to me, I know, listen, I know there's a whole low ABV trend out there sure. and people want these drinks, but it, I don't get it. It doesn't, I'm just sort of like. You, what's the if point? You, well, right. it's not what's the point, but <laughs> you, if you want a mocktail, you can go have whatever that mixed drink is or soda or whatever you want to call it, but you're not having seven drinks. If you're going to a bar and you have a drink, chances are you're having a second. Right. right? It, and it's nice. It, it, we, we tend to take that culinary approach so that it is refreshing and mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like you're actually drinking alcohol. It's, it's, it's a nice balance. I totally agree with you. Okay, what are we getting from you next? So the third one is Spice Trade. It is our, um, our third gin. And mm-hmm. Spice Trade starts out as a rye whiskey mash, but okay. we add a lot of the baking spices to it. It's not a spicy, hot spicy, but it has a lot of depth to it. Um, so that one has. I mean, it's got Szechuan pepper in it. Szechuan so. peppercorn, Thai basil, cardamom, mm. ginger. So a lot, a lot of nice natural spices to it. Can't did, wait. You, did you just sit in the kitchen somewhere and no, his distiller is a chef. Did you miss? I that? know, no, it, but I mean, you know, this is all got to be based on experimentation. You don't just come yep, up with the drinks so. for sure. Yeah, we we experiment all the time. Wow. Um, we really wanted all three gins to be different than each other, so mm-hmm. we didn't want them to be all the same. To have three products tasting very similar, we want them have their own expression. This is great. Cool. Okay, so we're going to get a taste of that, and then we're going to get to we're, Chef. We're going to get a, a taste of Chef, mm-hmm. David Rabin. David. How you doing? You're an hey, interesting guy. How are you, David? Yeah. So David is the executive chef at Caboose Tavern in Vienna and for Caboose Commons in Mosaic. They're both they're locally owned. It's a microbrewery, but it, they've got great food, and David happens to be a local boy who's well, made good. Well, we've had the brewery in studio before. Yeah. You guys have been in studio yeah, before. David hasn't the been in. I haven't been in, but yeah, you some, haven't been. some and, of the brewers came in. And David, um, I mean, what he brought in today is a wild boar with wild boars. hominy corn, baby corn, and uh, awesome. cherry tomatoes. But I, what's no. really interesting, talk a little about your, you know, how you got to where you are, because mm-hmm. that really influenced your menu at, Yeah, at I mean, I started out, you know, I went to Votech School in Montgomery County for culinary arts. Luckily, I was able to take part in that. And then I worked in the restaurant scene around here in Bethesda, in D.C. Mm. Then I uh, went to New England, New England Culinary Institute, which is now unfortunately closed. But I then worked uh, for Michael Mina, Charlie Palmer, Brian Voltaggio in that. Name dropper. Name dropper. I mean, no, not that, but it's just <laughs> like it, it opened up a lot of doors for me that I, because I really wanted to do the fine dining thing. Mm-hmm. And then as I kind of got further in my career, and one thing I learned in New England Culinary Institute was sustainability, making everything from scratch, mm-hmm. seasonality, preserving. That's something I was very passionate about. And then when I went down the well, you certainly worked with people who felt that way. Yeah, exactly. as well. But it was yeah. more about you know manipulation of food and how you can like make it tweezer food. Do all these cool, yeah, do mm-hmm. do cool things, which is awesome. But kind of taking a step back, and then when I went down to see my in-laws in Southwest Virginia. Canning, pickling, all that was a normal thing for me. But them. you kind of became Davy Crockett down there, too. <laughs> I mean, I guess, but yeah. <laughs> kind of always been the same. But uh, I just kind of realized that, like, all the things that I loved about cooking, like, always wanted to do, grow my own food and serve that and make everything from scratch. It was, you know, it wasn't as foreign as it sounded when I talked to other chefs about it in the city. It was like, no, it was a common place in that area. But talk about the Appalachian. Do you say Appalachian or Appalachian? It's Appalachian. Appalachian, okay. So if you go down there and you say Appalachian, they'll no, they look at you funny. You're from the city, boy. Or they'll right. throw an apple at you. That's how you <laughs> All right, so, but, but that has affected or impacted your whole perspective on, yeah, on I mean, the menu. Yeah, our whole thing from when I started at Caboose uh, was we're a Virginia brewery. We want to be, like, completely... Local, everything, and then the more I did research into Virginia cuisine, a lot of it was based in Appalachia, Mm -hmm. and that was kind of something I was like dived into and realized that 
there's a definitive Virginia Appalachian cuisine. So what does that look like? Like for for people who may not be really aware of it, and I I have two questions, so I'm going to put them together. So what does that look like? And then how do you pair it? Because you are a brewery. So you want to, so it's, you know, kind of fun and hang out. So you want to make it accessible. I mean, so that's the interesting part. So if it can grow here and it's indigenous to here, the two different things, but through influence, through the spice trade and history and how food was kind of the basis of all economy at that point, a lot of foods that were from here moved to the old world and vice versa. So you saw a lot of that. So once we discovered as a culture and as, you know, everybody did, what could grow here kind of became native. So we just tried to use ingredients when they're the highest quality in the season from local farms only. And that kind of like the ingredients dictate the cuisine more so than the spices and all the other stuff that a lot of traditional cuisines do because how to utilize an ingredient to its maximum. You don't waste anything. What sure. about game? Because we were talking about that before. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a hunter, but beyond that, elk and deer, you know, venison, yeah. always taste gamey to me. Yeah. And not to you, me. I you like explain, both. Well, there's a reason why so maybe for you the, and for me. Because The hyper short version of that, answer to that, well, I can talk all day. Uh, so when an animal is hunted or slaughtered, whichever way, their muscles react a certain way and, you know, panic, and that creates lactic acid in the muscle. Lactic acid is going to give it that gamey flavor. Sure. So if you let it rest for three or four days before you actually eat it, the rigor mortis and lactic acid breaks down in the muscle and it actually gets tender and you remove a lot of that gamey flavor. That's really interesting because also one of the other things has been, you know, like Humane Certified. When Humane Certified first came out, their whole thing was if you slaughter animals under stress, you will taste it in the food. Yeah. And that, you know, playing music and, yeah. and but, providing but, an area of, of low stress would produce a better yeah, quality. Yeah, I mean, there's like two sides to that coin. Some of it is similar to like kosher and halal laws, mm-hmm. which is kind of counterintuitive to what the government states is humane because those laws state the animal has to know it's dying and that's what makes it humane mm-hmm. versus stunning it and then killing it, which is – Stun me, please. Right. But, <laughs> but I mean, no, what, I mean what's interesting yeah. is that way, way, way back when, 30 yeah. years ago, Deepak Chopra was writing that he's an endocrinologist, yeah. that when an animal dies that way, yeah. you you end up eating its stress. Yeah. So it's basically the same thing yeah. we're talking about. I mean, yeah. So like the lactic acid and the gamey flavor kind of comes in taint in the term to that. But there's ways to counteract it. And if you actually, you know, take your time and do it right, you can... Do it I've naturally never developed a taste for venison or elk. Maybe. I'm... But so now, how are you incorporating that to your menu? So, and again, you're in Vir- you're in yeah. two locations. You're in Virginia. This is a brewery. Yep. So how are you um, making it accessible to people who maybe I don't eat the same way? Common flavors. So like a good example is the wild boar dish. Mm-hmm. Indi- individually, each ingredient is unique, but mm. when you eat it together, it's kind of a slimmer flavor flavor profile to a taco. Mm. And that's something a lot of people are very comfortable with. So. Give me a beer with this. Absolutely. Yeah, so I actually poured you the uh, Bienvenidos, which is our Mexican lager. And I also have the Citra Session IPA. It's in that red cup right oh, there for mm-hmm. you. damn. Yeah. And, uh, that's, you missed the beer? Yep. <laughs> so everything, uh, we try to source everything responsibly and locally as well when it comes to the beer. So. Well, and how hard is that um, in your restaurant, given like the size of the restaurant? How are you able... To source well and, um, you know, I mean, we should ask this to the other chef, too, or well, you're here so we can ask you. I mean, how hard is it, given the size of your restaurants, to be able to do things from scratch and source and, and have, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, so how do you do that? One thing that we try to do is so when we take an ingredient, we see how many ways we can utilize it, whether mm-hmm. it's preser- preservation, even ketchup, mustard we make from scratch. 
all the little details. So we uh, use our, our spent grain from the beer, which is a lot of grain. Yeah. Those go back to the cattle and pork farms that we actually work with, and that feeds their animals, and then we buy the animals from them. Oh, I love and that. And then also all of our food waste, which is minimal, but we compost it in between the two restaurants. It's can you can you compost protein? That's one of the, the things that the we've... compost company I'm cur- currently using. Yes, he does so compost chicken it. and bones and all that. Yeah, he's able to get it hot enough because a lot of compost facilities yeah. apparently don't get it hot enough because the compost has to reach a certain heat level. Well, and he's able to do that really well. <laughs> right. So we a lot be... of the soil <laughs> he sells back to other farms. Mm-hmm. That some of them we use, some of them we don't. And then we also use the spent grain from the beer on our crackers that we serve on our charcuterie boards. That's so that way so we try to really, utilize everything. You're, you're yeah. really recycling creative. everything. That's great. That's amazing. Yeah, we just our whole thing is like I'm sure he's seen it too. The restaurants are incredibly wasteful, so we tried to curb that as much as possible. And actually, our trash since we started composting went down, and our compost waste combined between these two restaurants and one is about a thousand covers a day, and the other one's about a hundred, maybe two hundred max. Mm. Combined, it's about. 450 pounds worth of compost, which is That's in amazing. A month is actually not That's that nothing. much. That's nothing. Probably turn out that. Well, much. there's a couple organizations um, in town that are really trying to reduce waste, and they're start. The restaurants are harder because there's so many health code laws. Yeah. Um, but they're starting in like coffee shops and things of that nature to reduce waste. I mean, even in studio today, we've got paper straws, things like that. Like everybody's trying to find ways. The bamboo plates. Um, right. Yeah. To, and you know, find compostable things. Um, because we recognize that waste is such a problem. Yeah, that's one thing with ownership was very important. So all of our chemicals are bio-friendly. Mm-hmm. All of our, anything that's single use is compostable has to be. And our compost guy is able to successfully compost all that stuff. So I love it. All right, Chef, tell everybody, please, where we can find you and your Oh, so uh, Caboose uh, Tavern's in Vienna, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And our Instagram and our Facebook are just Caboose Tavern. And then Caboose Commons is in the Mosaic area of Fairfax. Excellent. And that's just Caboose Commons. And then my Instagram is uh, ChefDR89. And okay. uh, I post stuff. Is that about because you're born food. in 89? Yeah. Oh my God. But okay. also, I have chickens and all that stuff. So see pictures. I'm wearing underwear that I bought in 88. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? You can sell it. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants it. Trust me. All right. Thank you so much. And thanks for bringing in all the beer and the great food. All right. Lisa, are you there? Because we are ready to start chatting with you. I am here. Hi. So, so I feel like it's a great segue because we're talking about waste and how to make less of it. And, you know, restaurants are really in a tough position when it comes to lessening their waste, and, but they're working at it, you know, composting, et cetera, and trying to find ways to uh, reuse and recycle. But you were sort of at the forefront when it came to... You're a pioneer. You are a pioneer. So let's hear your story. Yeah, all that awareness about waste and trying to compost it and reduce it and find the reusable and find the compostable mm-hmm. that is just kind of my dream of where i wanted to be and in 2005 when i started my company i had no idea how far i would go if this would work so i was an english teacher in 2005 and i became aware of reusable bags on a trip to australia and i realized the U.S. was using a billion plastic bags a day. Wow. And it's it was just the numbers were insane. And a third of all plastic escapes our efforts to collect them. Gets into the so ocean. So we're talking about yeah. two billion bags a week escaping into the environment, breaking down into little bits. They waft around the streets. You sure, know, we see it. For a while. Yeah, we've all seen them. And then they wash into the ocean 
predictions and the current estimates are that we are putting a dump truck worth of plastic into the ocean every minute. Wow. So the numbers were really overwhelming. And I said, you know, in Australia and, and Ireland, they were going reusable and they were reducing one reusable bag can replace a thousand bags, mm. right? Of those flimsy plastic one single use bags. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was, it's a huge order of magnitude lower. And, um, well, Lisa, and, and I'm I, so sorry. I'm going to have to, Lisa, I have to stop you just for a sec. We have to take a quick break, but then we're going to come back in and we're going to dive right back into it. This is David okay. and Nikki no Nellis on Foodie and the Beast. If you are not bringing your own bags to the market, shame on you. Don't, Lisa, you better not let Nikki catch you. Yeah. Then. Lisa's going to tell us more when we return. <laughs> All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with Lisa Foster, who is uh, affectionately called the bag lady, um, and uh, we'll let her tell her okay, story. Okay, so Lisa, you realized we had this issue. How did you change? Because it was there was so much backlash about people bringing their own bags. I don't know why. I mean, well, I do know why because people are crazy. But how did it was you? Different, and it how was... did you fight this backlash? Yeah, I mean, I was told people will never Americans will never bring their own bag back. They will never pay for a bag. That isn't in our culture. That's European, I was told. And mm -hmm. I just said, that's I crazy. if Americans knew what I knew, mm -hmm. if they knew about the waste and that awareness, they would make a 99 cent choice that's more responsible. And I just, I just had that belief. It really was a, a leap of faith faith mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And I sourced bags and I started selling them. I got my, I was teaching. So I sold a quarter of a million bags on the staircase overlooking the faculty parking lot my first year. I sold 2 million bags my second year. Wait a minute, year, back up, eight, back up. 200 and, you sold 250,000 bags off the balcony? Wow. And, how, and you were just sharing your information and just telling people, hey, just bring your own bags to... The grocery store. I was calling small grocery stores because look, the way it works, right? We have these so-called free bags, right? Of course, we're all paying taxes to right. landfill them and right. clean them up. And we're paying for them in higher prices in milk and oranges and whatever else, right? It's overhead. So the price of the bag is built into everything. There's no free bag. But um, I was talking to the store managers and they were mostly responsible for buying those bags and giving them away for free. They were aware very aware of the kind of trash they were putting into the environment and small natural food stores just they felt bad about that but they didn't see an alternative i offered them a 99 cent alternative i explained why we have to make this not a hidden cost let's make this an honest cost right mm -hmm. let's, let's be aware of what we are taking and um they would buy a box of 100 bags and as soon as they put them out, they said, I need a 200 bags and then they need 400 bags. Um, my network just started to open up. The principal of my school said one of our major retailers in Southern California, Ralph's, one of the guys on the board at Ralph's was on his school board. And he said, when you're ready for them, let me know. I gave him a packet. It looked like an English teacher handout. Like <laughs> I was very bad at marketing. <laughs> there were too many words, not enough images. But it was good enough. I got a call from Ralph's and they ordered 100,000 bags that year. Wow. And somebody else who had cold called did the same thing. And as soon as I put them out, the next day I got orders for 200,000 from each of them. Wow. So it was really that hockey well, stick curve. 
I have a question. Americans embraced this Mm -hmm. so quickly. And I put on every bag the facts, right? The five reasons to reuse a bag that we were using a billion bags a day, that um, paper bags do not end up in landfill, that every plastic bag costs an estimated 17 cents Mm. in cleanup and landfill. Um, and, And the bag itself really explained what was happening when you threw away a bag? And I think we just kind of forgot about it. You know, a way is a way, but a way is not a way. There really is no well, way. Well, so let, me, ask let, let me jump in with okay, this question. Ahead, because, yeah, because your bags are recycled, correct? They're recycled plastic bags. You can bags. recycle them, yes. So, so because when we go to Trader Joe's, we get um, compostable bags. You know, they're well, the, for the fruit or the the whatever. veggies. I mean, are, but are, but other stores don't do that. That was going to be my next thing. Well, my problem is, is when <laughs> I go to like Whole Foods or you go to other grocery stores or even when you go to farmers markets, they are still mm-hmm. giving out. They're putting the yeah. products in plastic bags. And the question is, is how do we fight that? Because the compostable way obviously makes the most sense to me, but it's more expensive. Yeah, and you have to com- compost that plastic usually in a commercial composter, which not everybody has access to. Mm. So some of the compostable bags just end up being trash anyway. Mm -hmm. So paper bags would be great. I will say the idea that we're even talking about this is a win, right? If you think about we just move down the line, if we have millions of people doing this imperfectly, okay, you forget your bag sometimes. Okay, you take a plastic bag at the farmer's market. Okay, fine. Where we are compared to where we were 15, 20 years ago mm-hmm. is an order of magnitude less. And the awareness is so high. We have restaurants thinking about how to reduce that night, you know, that 80% of their waste. And that's what I always say. If you could get to 80% reduction, the other 20 is not so important. But most of us, if we could get 80% of Americans reducing their plastic 80%. Mm-hmm. This is an enormous improvement from where we were, right? So the problem goes way, way, way down. So mm-hmm. we, we'd, I'd rather see millions of people doing it imperfectly than a few people trying to do it perfectly. I think so that I'm makes sense. I'm not looking for the perfect. I'm looking for the good. Great. Well, on that note, Lisa, how can people sort of stay in touch with you and Find out. Find the book. Find the book, and you know we never even it. talked about the book. The bag, right. lady. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, the book is that roller coaster ride of entrepreneurship, becoming an English teacher, and then becoming a green business leader. Uh-huh. So, and it's doing really well on Amazon for green business. So, go to Amazon. Great. Bag Lady by Lisa D. Foster. There's a whole bunch of Lisa Fosters out there. You Where do they all come from? Find me. Okay. Um, and are I'm you on, on Instagram? Instagram. Instagram at Lisa D. Foster, mm-hmm. um, LinkedIn at Lisa D. Foster, Great. and Facebook, Lisa D. Foster Coach, my website, lisadfostercoach.com. Excellent. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much that for joining us today. That yeah. was terrific. All right. Let's get uh, deviant for one last time. Deviation Distillery. So um, you've made some- Wait a minute. I, I want to stop there. Let's, when we get home, we can get deviant. Okay. okay. Right. Uh, so you brought in- some amazing cocktails today. Thanks. Tell us, just now that we know that you guys are did this to get into the whiskey business, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit of, now gins are up and running. What's next for you guys? Like how, and you're in the DC market, like how are you guys doing what's next? 
Well, with the gins, I mean, when we started doing our gin four years ago, it actually, we realized that the gin category was just growing. So that's mm-hmm. why we released all three at one time. We actually have a couple other gins uh, coming up as well. Okay. Um, at, at In Denver, we have a blood orange gin. Uh, mm-hmm. We also have a barrel rested gin. So we took a gin and put it in a rye whiskey barrel for about nine months. So it has a really nice rye finish to it. A little softer, um, mellow, if you will. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole lot of... Um, I have a rye sense of humor. Things, right? <laughs> there's a whole lot of um, opportunity in the gin market just because people are interested in the actual spirit itself, the, the gin category is just booming. So uh, we have a lot of focus on gin. Obviously, our whiskey is becoming a little bit more mature. We're looking at releasing our bourbon, our rye, and our single malt uh, mm-hmm. within the next year. Will, so you, will you have as pretty coming. bottles? Bottles being just as pretty? We will. Those uh, bottles are Thank you. Like thank great. you. Yeah, we're working on those as we speak for the uh, the whiskey itself. Excellent. All right. Well, we really want to thank you for coming out from thank Colorado thank you for having and me. joining us in studio today. It's a pleasure. Tell everybody where they can find you online and on Instagram, please. Sure. Deviationdistilling.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is our website. You can find our Instagram, Facebook from our website. You can actually find the locations that we are within the D.C., Maryland, Delaware market. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're interested in going to a liquor store or a restaurant that carries our spirits. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us Thank today. You. Pleasure. Great. Do you want to say a couple words? Because... I want to say again, yeah. It, okay. um, one of my pet things is I, you know, I keep reading articles that people are getting tired of hearing about the war in Ukraine and blah, blah, blah. That war is going to go on for a long time, but mm. the Ukrainians are kicking butt and taking names. And open up your wallets. There are lots of, I mean, there are millions of refugees. They need all kinds mm-hmm. of help. I don't care if it's a buck, five bucks, whatever you got. Keep sending them money because Russia cannot win this war. That's it. Okay, great. And we want to thank all of our guests who brought in all this food and all this crazy booze today. It was such a fun day in studio, and we got to learn so much as well. And we want to thank you for uh, tuning in to listen. A couple quick reminders out there. Um, Staff shortages, it's still real, and it's happening. When you go into restaurants, just remember their goal is to serve you a lovely brunch, lunch, dinner, snack, or experience. They're not there to uh, start a problem. So everybody take their kindness pills, please, before you go out. Uh, Don't forget to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for everything happening in the D.C. metro area. Including Restaurant Week in Fairfax City, Virginia. (laughs) Fairfax City, they'll be in next week. And uh, also, um, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see I'm doing a lot of work with the Embassy Chefs Challenge, meeting with a lot of ambassadors and having a really good time. So thank you again to our guests. Thank you to our listeners. Everybody be safe out there and have a delicious week.